This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290 WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Good morning. It's 50 degrees at 9.04. Nice north wind, brisk at 8 miles an hour, makes it feel oh, about 4 degrees colder. Mostly sunny today and a high in the mid-60s. Developing this morning, new, the Pennsylvania State Police have put out an advisory saying they're looking for a missing man from Susquehanna County. The news release was issued by the state police shortly before 6.30 this morning, requesting assistance in locating Tyler Barber. He's a native of Susquehanna Depot Borough. Most of us refer to that just as Susquehanna, Pennsylvania. He has not been seen or heard from since September 1st. Barber is an adult male. He's white. Did not provide any information of his age on the New York, on the Pennsylvania State Police news release. The man stands five feet, 11 inches tall, weighs 160 pounds. He has black hair. He appears to be in the provided photo to be long and pulled back. They say he has blue eyes. Authorities say he may be traveling in a blue Hyundai. Also in that photo, you can see that he has a full beard and mustache. You can see the photo at our website, WMBF.com. The state police did not get any information about the year of the suspected car or the possible registration, whether those plates are Pennsylvania or New York. Anyone who has information is asked to contact the state police in Gibson at 570-465-3154, asked to speak to a member of the Criminal Investigation Unit. An Endicott man is facing a long list of charges after authorities say they found he was wanted by law enforcement on both sides of the New York-Pennsylvania border. Broome County Sheriff's officials say they arrested 37-year-old Matthew McClough on the 13th in connection with a vehicle pursuit on August 31st. According to the Sheriff's Office, members of the patrol division developed information concerning where McClough may be and started a surveillance detail. Authorities say they were well acquainted with McClough. They claim he has a habit of not complying with police and evading law enforcement officials. On Tuesday afternoon, the subject was seen and positively identified as he got out of his vehicle and the surveillance team were able to surround him and take him into custody. Sheriff's officials say they found McClough had several fake identification cards, a fictitious pistol permit, and a fake license plate that was stuck on his vehicle. Authorities say the vehicle was unregistered, uninsured, and they towed it away. The Endicott man was taken to the Broome County Jail for arraignment and Pennsylvania State police were notified that he was in custody. In Broome County, McClough is charged with criminal possession of a forged instrument and reckless endangerment, as well as misdemeanor counts of unlawfully fleeing a police officer and aggravated unlicensed operation of a motor vehicle. He was also ticketed for the violations of operating a motor vehicle without insurance, unregistered motor vehicle, improper license plates, and driving without a license. Village of Johnson City Police say a Syracuse man is being charged with felony counts of rape and forcible compulsion in a reported sexual assault on Saturday. According to a news release from the police department, which authorities also posted to social media, 26-year-old Antonio Bethune was found along with the alleged female victim after the report of the attack on September 10th. The initial news release pointed out the Syracuse man was arraigned then released from custody with no bail set, while authorities indicated they felt 
hoped the suspect should have been held. Hours later, the police posted an update on their Facebook page saying further information from the New York State Supreme Court judge indicates there was, quote, some circumstances in cases such as this as a result of bail reform restrictions that left the judge with little choice but to release the suspect without bail. The Post continued to say authorities plan to have further discussions with the Sixth Judicial Court concerning circumstances where a suspect could be held on bail. The Post concludes, quote, the Johnson City Police Department wants to make sure that the public is aware of what is happening in their communities, but it is of the most um, utmost importance that we make sure we have all the facts before we express our outrage. A number of media outlets previously reported the initial arrest, pointing out the suspect's release without posting bail. Some major improvements are coming to the facilities at the Greater Binghamton Airport thanks to a multi-million dollar investment from New York State. Governor Kathy Hochul made a stop at the airport in the town of Maine yesterday to announce BGH will receive $32 million as part of a $230 million investment into upstate New York airports. The upgrades will include terminal renovations to make the Greater Binghamton Airport more modern and travel-friendly. Prior to this announcement, there were two weeks ago, the county executive announced that the Avello Airlines would begin providing direct flights to Orlando and Fort Myers, Florida. Prior to that, Broome County's airport only had regular Delta Airlines service with a single flight to Detroit. And a high-profile labor, labor organizer has resigned from Starbucks, saying the company forced her out because of her union leadership. Jazz Brissack helped lead the unionization of a store in downtown Buffalo late last year, kicking off a national movement. At least 238 U.S. Starbucks stores, including an outlet in Vestal, have voted to unionize since then. Brizak said that Starbucks had refused to accommodate her availability requests for months, which has hurt her co-workers because the store is often understaffed. Starbucks said it tried to balance Brizak's limited availability with the store's staffing needs and denied treating her differently because of her union activity. WMBF Newstime 910. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast today mostly sunny, well, on the brisk side, the high in the mid-60s. Another chilly one for tonight with temperatures back into the 40s, mostly clear, a low in the low to mid-40s. Sunny on Friday, high in the mid-70s. Friday night, we could have some fog setting up again toward morning with Saturday starting off with patchy fog. Otherwise, mostly sunny Saturday, a high in the low 80s. Sunday, mostly sunny, a 30% chance of afternoon showers, a high in the low to mid 80s. Monday, partly sunny, a 50% chance of afternoon showers, possibly some thunderstorms, and a high in the low 80s. Currently, it's 50 in Binghamton. It's 912, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Coming up, we will play a jingle, and then we will begin our program here on News Radio WNBF. The jingle will come down in five, four, three. Makes no sense, but that's how it begins today. Bob Joseph, 
no script, no teleprompter, just the best program on the radio right now. Taking phone calls, answering the questions. 607-772-1290. We'll have some guests coming up today. Information that will help you understand what is going on around here. If your phone isn't charged, you might be able to use the work computer and send an email to bob at wnbf.com. Follow the program on Twitter. At Binghamton Now. For breaking news, interesting little things at all times of the day and night. Good work. Top state official announcing how she'll be spending our money. Thank you. Remember, the election now is less than two months away, so there will be more announcements of how she'll be spending your money so you can make an important decision during the November elections. All righty. And what else is going on here around... The uh, Triple Cities. Why do they call it the Triple Cities? Well, <laughs> well, if I have to explain it to you, never mind. Anyway, uh, if you're following on Twitter, you see there's already a lot of excitement on the Binghamton Now Twitter feed this morning with uh, a tweet that came in just 35 minutes ago from Endicott. Now here I am. How do I do it? By uh, careful avoidance of speed traps. I know people are saying, Bob, how could you have tweeted that at 8.38 and then you start your fabulous broadcast at 9.12? How do you do it? Avoid the speed traps. No, I mean, adhere to the speed limit. Remember, the speed limit in Endicott, the entire village, the official speed limit throughout the village is 30 miles per hour. However, there are slower speeds in school zones. So if you're going through a school zone, say near Union Endicott High School, where the posted speed limit is 20, do what I did today. Go exactly 20. <laughs> I did. I admit it. So if you were the ones who were having trouble with one of your fingers, hey, don't blame me. I was just following the speed limit. I know 20 miles an hour is slow. By the way, congratulations. I didn't catch the unit number if it was 653 or 651 or who knows. Congratulations for... Your paperwork this morning there at East Main and Wash. <laughs> and you got to write up the violators. If you speed in a school zone, the odds are you could pay the price. And so, now I'll be the first to acknowledge 20 miles an hour seems pretty darn slow. Pretty darn slow. But that's what the sign says. And so I did it. 
The other thing is right at the um, intersection there of East Main and Lincoln, when we were stopped, <laughs> uh, to, my, to my left was another Endicott police officer. Now, I thought he was going to monitor my speed. Turns out, I think he just went up a block and, and stopped by the station, probably had some paperwork to complete. But, um, yeah, I, I kept it honestly, honestly, 2-0 on the display, the digital display, 20 miles an hour, and boy, it just seems to take forever, but I respect that, that speed limit, even if, even if it could possibly make me late for this broadcast. But as you see, it all worked out. It all worked out, as it always does. Anyway, enough of my issues for the moment. I'm sure we'll revisit some of those issues coming forward between now and noon. That's why you love the program, right, kids? Tom and Endwell, good morning. Good morning, Bob. I was just, uh, you know, there's some really good stories that are going on right now. Um, all the migrants that showed up in Martha's Vineyard, I think that's a beautiful place for them. Lots that is a terrible, terrible thing. And I, I think it ought to be condemned by all people who respect human rights. I, I mean, that's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place, and what was done by the governor of Florida, Billy DeSantis, that should be condemned. You don't, according to news accounts, many, or some, I don't know how many, uh, at least some of the people who wound up at Martha's Vineyard had no idea where they were. So for those who have made claims that some of these governors who are uh, playing games with um, human lives that, oh, well, you know, they sign they sign a, a form that says, hey, you know, I don't mind, uh, you know, ship me to the Port Authority bus terminal in the middle of stinking Manhattan or, or send me on a bus to Chicago or a bus to D.C. or put me on a plane to Martha's Vineyard. Some people say that the uh, people that are being transported out of some of these states know exactly where they're going. Uh, I don't think that's the case in, in all instances. Bob, there are millions of migrants on the, you know, in Texas. Hey, I, don't tell me about it. It's not news to me. I know. I know there are a lot of people in this country. It doesn't make a difference how they got here. The fact that governors are taking it upon themselves to ship people out of their states without any coordination and without permission of others. What would happen here? Think about this. What would happen if somebody like Ron DeSantis or Abbott and Costello decided to send people from their states to the bus terminal downtown? What would happen to Binghamton? I mean... You know, you keep you keep bringing up like, you know, there's no plan in place. I keep bringing it up because there is no plan in place. I, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. If you let me finish, I'm agreeing with you. There was also no plan in place for Texas to deal or Arizona to deal with this many migrants. There was no plan in place. And I, I, I bet you everything that I have that not that all these migrants that are coming in don't have 
or even know of a specific place they want to go. Guarantee you they don't. And so it doesn't it doesn't give anyone the right, whether you're the governor of a great state like Texas or a governor of an even greater state like Florida, it gives you no right to ship fellow human beings out of your state. If if they want to go someplace, then it should be done through um, a well-regulated process. Just because they wound up in your state doesn't give you the right to ship them off to someplace else without the express written permission of the commissioner of Major League Baseball. I agree with you. I agree with you on that statement. It should be well-regulated for those migrants to even come into Texas or Arizona because it's not fair for them to deal with everything that's going on while you have other Congress people saying, yeah, we're a sanctuary city. Come on in. That's not fair to Texas and Arizona. You know, they're, they're, they're digging bodies out of the Rio Grande. They're, they're pulling bodies out of people's backyards. Like, that's not fair for them. That's not fair for the citizens that live there. I didn't say it was. So what you're saying is because life is unfair, it gives Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott the right to do something that is also unfair. And let's face it, two wrongs never make a right. What you're, what you're saying is you deal with them. They're in your state. You keep them there. We don't want them. That's what's really being said. No, what's really being said is don't shift your problem to someplace else. You've got a problem. I acknowledge it's a big problem for many states, Texas, Florida, Arizona, and some other states. It's a problem. Don't shift your problem to New York State or to Massachusetts or to Illinois or to D.C. just because you want to make political gain using human beings as pawns. Um, isn't that what the Democrats are doing? Because isn't that... Hey, isn't that what the Democrats are doing? The Democrats are not... Tell me how Democrats have ever, ever put people on a bus or sent them on a plane to a, a place where they had no home. When have Democrats ever done that? They did it at the beginning and they got caught. And and you and people like yourself called it conspiracy theory, and there were videos. It it was being done by the federal government. It wasn't a conspiracy. The federal government was involved. It was it didn't involve state or local officials. Nobody, Kathy Hochul, or Jared Cram, didn't call up some some people in in one of the states and say, "Hey, bring." Bring some of your people in the middle of the night here. That was done by the United States government, our government. And who was in control of our government? They got the Senate, they got the House, and they got the President. Yes, all the people. That's the beauty of our system. The people who are currently in control of our government were elected by the people. So where where's the government right to do it? But The federal government has a right to to regulate these things because it's more than just a single state issue. Now you're you're absolutely right there needs to be cooperation involving state and federal officials and that cooperation has been lacking. 
that still doesn't give Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis the right to be dumping, that's what it effectively is, dumping their problem, and I agree it's a problem for them, dumping their problem on great places like New York and Martha's Vineyard. But but if you go back and look at when the federal government was doing it, if you look back at the states that they were doing it in, they were all conservative states. No, they weren't conservative states. Some of those people who were brought in on planes, and by the way, you can't just land a plane at 4 o'clock in the afternoon at a busy airport. So indeed, some of those flights... Remember, they weren't scheduled flights. They're chartered flights. They don't, they're not going to commandeer a U.S. Um, a Delta Airlines plane and, and fly it, a commercial flight filled with, with people from one state to another. They're not going to do that. They're going to do a chartered plane, and it might land at night. And it was done by the federal government and some of the people who were brought to New York State. Hey, New York, when those people, with all those grainy videos that, that made it sound like some sort of conspiracy, New York was run by Democrats. It still is. Bob, you are stepping on your own feet. All right. No progress. Larry from Kirkwood, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Oh, boy. I completely disagree with you. Again. That's your right. I, I would expect nothing less, Larry. Well, I would like love to be agreeing with you, but this is ridiculous. I don't the want federal... you. I don't want you to ever agree with me. I don't want Larry and Kirkwood to ever agree with me. That's fine by me, as long as you keep listening. You yell at you. <laughs> I'm saying as long as you keep listening, disagree. Disagree vociferously and keep calling in to explain why you disagree. Well, uh, I agree on one thing. I mean, yeah, it's it's ridiculous kind of that that these governors are, are sending them all over the place. But remember something. You were saying that they're sending their problem all over the, the country. Well, this is not their problem. They didn't make it. The government did. Joe Biden did, opening the borders up to the illegals to come. And remember, they're illegals. They don't belong here. They should not be here. have no right to be here. Hello? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was listening intently to your opinion. And what else? Well, I mean, you got these, uh, well, Let's pick one, for instance, New York mayor. I mean, here he is. He's one of these people who agrees with opening the borders up to the illegals. All right. He got what he wanted. So the governors, whichever state uh, governor did it, sent them over to New York City. What happens? This jerk starts complaining about it. Oh, my goodness, they're overwhelming our system. The very thing that he agreed was a good thing to do, opening the borders to the illegals. Right. Hypothetically, yes, it is. But New York City 
doesn't have unlimited resources. In the same way, Texas and Florida and Arizona don't have unlimited resources. So just because one state has big problems, don't send part of your big problem to some other place without permission, without coordination. You know, if, if Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis really tried, it's conceivable that they could come up with some kind of agreement. But you know what? Here it is less than two months before the midterm elections. They do not want an agreement on this matter before the midterms. They're using the people, men, women, and children from other countries, they're using them for political gain. I find it very, very sad. Uh, they're just getting these people who don't belong in their state out. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, the governors and mayors, Democrats, by the way, who are complaining about them sending people into their cities and states, too darn bad. They caused the problem. They can suffer with it. It's 930 WNBF. Mike and Vestal, good morning. Morning, Bob. How are you? I am well. What's on your mind? Well, I'm, I'm sure that I join a course of other people that complain about their uh, school taxes, but you know, the more and more that I look at what the school districts do and compare it to, like, say, the county or the local governments, it seems like it's like runaway taxing. You know, like I, I see, like, you know, <clears throat> Jason Gardner um, proposed the budget, you know, with a little bit of a cut again, keeping it in line, keeping you know everything um everything uh the same basically i see um you know my local leaders at, in my town doing the same things and every single time i look at the vestal school taxes i don't know i'm sure a lot of the other ones are the same it, it goes up my, my bill my bill personally goes up you know it's like it was like 34 now it's 3500 now i, I you know this year it was like 3700 dollars, and i'm like when does this end and then every single time they they want to we got to build this for the kids, and we got to get a couple new buses, and we got to do this. Let's vote on it in addition to your school taxes, and let's do it in August on a Wednesday at you know 6 p.m. Like when you know only whoever you um, get to go is going to go show up for the, the the budget or the the referendum or whatever they call it, um, and nobody nobody says you know you can't do that. By the way, by the way, did you get one of those uh, tax refund checks from the Vestal School District a few weeks ago? I haven't gotten anything, no. All right. Uh, some property owners in Vestal received these checks, refund checks, and the school superintendent named Jeffrey Ahern, who doesn't return my phone calls, uh, he, no, he sent... He won't talk to me neither. No, he's... He's part of this contingent in Broome County, school officials who don't believe that they're accountable to anyone. So Vestal School District Superintendent Jeffrey Ahern sent some checks out to people, uh, and he included this mysterious letter. Even the state controller's office was mystified by what Jeffrey Ahern was saying when some of these, oh. some of these refund checks went out. It, it said apparently... An electronic file used an income exemption, star exemption, that was lower than it should have been, and it didn't identify the agency that creates the tax bills. So it was 
I called the state controller's office after Jeffrey Ahern from the Vestal School District wouldn't return my calls to explain what was going on. And they also expressed bewilderment by what, what was going on. So if um, Vestal School District taxpayers might want to encourage the superintendent to provide more information about how that mistake happened, because he obviously didn't want to go into detail. It sounded to me, based on the letter that he sent, looked to me like he was trying to cover something up for somebody or trying to protect somebody who made an, an error. Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's funny you bring him up, because during the years that my kids went to the Vestal School District, we weren't particularly thrilled with the way things were run or, the, you know, the little boys club that they have down there. And um, every time you try to call the administration, you just get pushed off. Every time you, you want to talk with anybody, especially in his office, there's there's absolutely no way. They put up a concrete barrier. They feel like they're sitting up there in that that old, they sit in the old high school in the far wing of it away from everybody, secluded from everybody, and they pay to keep that place heated and air-conditioned and whatever. And he sits up in his little mansion up in the in the corner there, and um, nobody sees him, nobody talks to him. He makes his, I don't know, ridiculous amount of money. And by the way, when is the last time Jeffrey Ahern, the Vestal School Superintendent, did an interview with anyone, with Action News, with anyone, uh, TV, radio, Internet, newspaper, I don't believe that I've seen an interview from Vestal School Superintendent Jeffrey Ahern at all since he received that cozy position. As you say, well compensated and a very important position. But like many, like his colleagues say from the Binghamton City School District, they believe in no accountability to their constituents. Yep. I don't know how they get away with it. And, I, you know, I, I think, you know, the past Governor Cuomo, he was starting to, you know, put up some barriers where they, they couldn't just uh, raise, the, raise the taxes, but he made a loophole that they take advantage of, you know, where um, I, I don't know what the percentage is. They're allowed to go up every year. You might know more than I do, but. Um, yeah, the whole thing seems like a, a scheme, no accountability. For most school districts, there are some notable exceptions. It's 9.35. Coming right up, we'll talk with Broome County Executive Jason Garner about his budget proposal. It's live, it's local. I'm Bob Joseph. On your side on News Radio WNBF. WNBF Live at 9.38. I'm Bob Joseph. We're joined now by Broome County Executive Jason Garner, who has just submitted his 2023 budget proposal to the legislature. Tell us uh, the highlights of your spending plan. Well, good morning, Bob. Um, appreciate you uh, letting me on the program today and talking Would you, a little bit about... I apologize to you. You know what we have here? Do you notice that, that static on the line? A little bit. Yeah, well, it's coming through on, on my line. It's coming through loud and clear. On, uh, We've got one bad line in this station that nobody can fix. Could you quickly okay. just call back, and then it'll yeah, ring through yeah. on a different line, and then we won't be dealing with this static cling? You got it. Okay, thanks. Right back. Thanks. You know, I think I've mentioned about this phone line before. I don't dare call the phone company 
to try to get them to fix it because any time that the phone company comes to this place, what they do is they schedule phone company always schedules their work during the program and sometimes they've been known to disconnect all the phone lines so it's it's better just to leave that one phone line that sounds crackly from time to time than to dare call the phone company and have them you know pull all the phone lines just from nine to noon because that's apparently how they operate we're rejoined now by the county executive on a much better phone line. Thank you. So uh, tell us about the um, about the budget proposal. Yeah, I mean, just to, to hit the main points, uh, you know, we've been working on our budget for the past five or six months with my budget director and our team here at the, at the county. And, um, you know, the highlights are this is the, the fifth straight year we've been able to cut property taxes in Broome County. Um, I think it's, it's a really good budget and it, that will protect taxpayers. A lot of people are talking about inflation, especially in the last couple of years. If you look at the last five years, inflation has gone up 18% and you know nationwide. But the cost of county government over the last five years, while inflation's gone up 18%, is actually less than it was five years ago, which I think is is pretty great for us to to be able to to do that. We've been able to grow our fund balance to $35 million. If you remember when I first took office, our fund balance was at like $240,000, dangerously low. And, you know, we, we've gotten to, up to about $35 million. And that allows us to hold the line on taxes. If we have a really bad economic downturn, it, it prevents us, it really protects us from having to raise any types of taxes. And it, it kind of keeps our, our, uh, you know, our financial situation pretty stable. Um, so that's good news on that front for taxpayers. And just a, you know, a couple things I just want to add. Uh, a large part of this budget is, you know, I've, I've talked to you on the program about how it's very difficult to retain employees. Um, I, I think since I took office, you know, we've probably upgraded well over 500 different positions in Broome County um, to be competitive and in hire people that we need to hire and keep people here. Um, we did a number of upgrades uh, at Willow Point, at our dispatch, security, um, probation, DSS, um, those types of things. I think we have 130 new upgraded positions total in the in the budget this year. Um, some major infrastructure improvements. Uh, we talked about our, our parks improvement projects. Of course, that's in the, the budget. It's a Historic parks improvement plan, Griffin Park, you know, virtually every amenity at every single county park is going to be renovated or newly built. And then we put a lot of investments into housing. Of course, we we did our budget address at 59 Leicester. That is a 156-unit housing development that is going to be opening up in January. And... Um, you know, we've got some other uh, investments in, in housing. Um, I talked a little bit about our ARPA spending. Um, if Just to refresh everybody's memory, uh, every municipality got money to recover from COVID. And to date, Broome County has spent about $21 million in, in that money of our $37 million. And that we've leveraged, that, that $21 million has resulted in over $225 million in economic development projects uh, across the county. Um, and just one last thing, because everybody wants to know about it. 
Um, we've been able to do a record amount of roads in 21 and then in, in 2022, and um, looks like we're we're headed in that same direction. And in 23, we'll we'll do uh, about as many uh, as many miles of roads um, in 23 as we. We did this year, and this year was a record year. Of course, it'll depend on what the prices for road materials are. Uh, who knows what, what that'll be? But um, you know, we're making big in investments in our infrastructure. So, uh, you know, at this point, we've we've kicked it over to the, the legislature, and and they will start to um, go through the budget line by line. Um, that that's usually a month long process, and then the, the vote happens in November. But if people want to look at the budget, and uh, they can go online to gobroomcounty.com, and they can see all the all the things that are in the budget. It's fully transparent out there for people to to take a look at. It's nine forty-five. We're speaking with Broom County Executive Jason Garner. One other thing that uh, is coming up, and of course, there was big news yesterday at the airport with uh, the announcement of, of state funding for uh, some major changes and and remodeling but another thing that uh is being planned is going to be acted on the by the legislature next week about a a solar array at the airport tell us about that project uh, where it will be at the airport property and and basically the scope of what's what's being considered yeah uh, i think mark keefner could probably talk a little bit more about that it's a it's a small solar array if you remember, we 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 actually have a a solar farm that um, that we actually own over in the over in um, Conklin, I believe, at our industrial park. And this this is a little bit different than that one. I think it's at the I'm trying to trying to remember. I think it's at the kind of like the northeastern part of the airport. I'll have to ask you'd have to ask Mark Keefner to get the exact place. Um, this is just a simple lease. So we we've got hundreds of acres of airport property. And one of the things that, you know, we're trying to do in addition to add more flights and upgrade the infrastructure of the airport is we're trying to utilize that property to, um, you know, for economic activity. So part of that property we're going to lease out to a, a solar uh, company. And I, th- I think it's going to generate roughly, you know, $30,000 a year. So it's, it's a very small piece of the airport property, but anytime that we can, um, you know, have people uh, utilize the property, invest more in the property, it, it's good for good for Broome County. And is that something based on what you know about the project? And I'll, I'll speak uh, with Commissioner Hefner uh, later today about some specifics, but based on what you know, is that something that, that could be constructed starting early next year? Is that uh, your expectation? You know, I think so. I think these uh, the the solar arrays again. Uh, you know, who knows in COVID, but the the one that w- there's a number of solar farms that have actually gone up in Broome County over the past few years. Um, I think we're on track if it gets passed this month to uh, for the for the company to come in and install the the farm next year. Of course, that that depends a lot on the you know the the type of uh, whether they can get the supplies that they need, which is, is something, you know, no matter what you're building these days uh, the, with the supply chain issues that, that people have. Um, but I, I would expect that it would start next year. Do you know if the county will consider additional solar projects? As you mentioned, the one that opened a few years ago in the town of Conklin, 
apparently is operating okay. I don't I don't know what kind of revenue is being generated, but is the county uh, exploring other solar arrays? Yeah, I mean we we get we actually uh, get a quite a bit of uh, you know calls about this. There's there, there's one uh, there's a company in particular we haven't put any resolution forward um, that that's interested in actually uh, the the solar array that we have over in Conklin. There's a uh, a good chunk of the property there that we don't have anything on. Um, and it, there's a, there's been a company that's interested in going over there as well. I mean, these are, you know, these are uh, smaller projects. I, I wouldn't say that uh, they generate a whole lot of revenue, but you know, if, uh, if we have land that's not usable really for, for anything else, um, you know, we, we think it's a, it, it's a good investment to make uh, and to have a company come on and um, deliver, you know, clean clean power, and and the the county gets a little bit of revenue. That's a that's a good thing for us. One other uh, uh, issue regarding the upcoming airport improvement plan, and a listener brings this up. He, he's wondering why does that plan call for removing four gates and two jet bridges? He says future proofing should not include a smaller footprint. Is there uh, an explanation for that? That change is part of the the project that will get underway soon at the airport. Well, Mark Kiefer is going to. Um, I'm sure Mark Kiefer will come on under your program soon and, and go through the whole project. I mean, this is a, a very large 32 million. It's actually about a 40 million dollar project when it's all all said and done. Um, you know, he, he can go through all the particulars, but what I can tell you about the project is that when Avalo, who is the 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 airline that, that's coming in November, first air service that we've got in 20 years. One of the things that we, we talked about in our discussions, of course, we didn't know if we were going to win this award or not, was the fact that we had put in an application to uh, go after the, this $40 million grant. And we we talked to the company about all the different things that were going to change, the major terminal upgrades, um, all that kind of stuff that was going to happen at the airport. And of course, you know, Airline companies are, they want to make, the first thing they want to make sure of is can they fill the planes? That's, that's the most important thing. But um, every community that has an airport will make that pitch that, hey, we can we can fill your planes. So other things that they start to look at are, are what does the airport look like? And, you know, the, the, the airport right now is a somewhat decent looking airport, but it, it certainly needs, you know, some, some big upgrades compared to some of the, the larger airports that we see in New York state and some of our competitors have. So this was very helpful. The fact that we were applying for this was very helpful in ter- I, I believe in terms of us being able to land a Velo and, and getting new air service. And I think it's going to be very helpful now that we actually have the grant to uh, pitch that to, you know, when we make our other pitches to other airlines that, Hey, we actually got this grant and, you know, we're going to completely renovate this whole airport. I think it's going to be helpful as you know, down the line, as we attract even more air service to the airport. Okay, and we will have the uh, commissioner on hopefully in the next few days to talk more about that major project that is coming up. Very excited about it. He's very. I mean, it's a big thing. I mean, uh, he, he's had a you know a really all Broome County, but especially him. He's worked really hard. He's a he's a younger guy. Got a lot of excitement. And the last two weeks has been great for him. I mean, getting air service for the first time in twenty years, and then getting forty million dollars to renovate your airport um you know he's 
he's very excited. It's been a great two weeks. He's, now he's got a lot of work to do because we actually have to complete that whole renovation in less than 24 months. There's a timeline to yeah. be able to do no, it. It'll so be, the, clock uh, is, the clock's ticking. So We will uh, follow that you closely. Extra, you have any extra time? Come up and... Uh, <laughs> What you need, what you need mostly, is for me to stay out out of their way. Broome <laughs> County Executive Jason Garner, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Have a good morning. Thanks. It's nine fifty two, live and local. Bob Joseph, always a few questions on News Radio WNBF and WNBF dot com. Even though people. Getting underway, Bob Joseph on WNBF. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Good morning. It's 53 degrees at 10.04. The forecast today, mostly sunny and a high in the mid-60s. For a fifth year, Broome County taxpayers are being promised a slight reduction in their property taxes. In his newly proposed 2023 budget plan, Broome County Executive Jason Garner proposes a reduction in the property tax levy by a tenth of a percent, reflecting growth in the county's fund balance. Garner gave his budget address at the long-awaited development of a dilapidated former Endicott Johnson factory building in Johnson City yesterday, the Democrats' first in-person address in two years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The proposed ledger is calling for investing $688,000 more in the government workforce through improved pay and benefits and adding positions where needed. The plan also calls for a new multi-use building, outdoor ice rink, and wiffle ball stadium at Griffin Park, new turf fields and lighting at the Bagsai Softball Complex, and various visitor amenities as part of what Garner says is the biggest parks investment proposal in the county's history. The small community fund is also slated for $1 million. That program assists nonprofit agencies and municipalities to make upgrades they might not otherwise be able to afford. The budget address also includes calls for a continued investment in economic development, housing projects, veteran and mental health services, fighting substance abuse, and continued repairs to miles of roads and bridges. The county legislature begins its review of the plan before scheduling public hearings and a vote on a final budget. And on the budget scene in Binghamton, Mayor Jared Cram has his first, delivering his first budget address of his administration. That's happening this afternoon. The message will be given at 2 p.m. in the Binghamton City Council Chambers, also live-streamed on the city's YouTube channel. The former assistant to the last mayor, Richard David, is expected to build on the previous administration's goals concerning addressing blight, economic development, and infrastructure repairs and upgrades. Cram is also being looked at to continue fellow Republican David's previous budgets that have included small reductions in the residential and commercial property tax rates. WMBF News Time 1006. A Delaware County man is accused of overstaying his welcome at a property where he used to live. Sheriff's officials say they were at a property at State Highway 206 in the town of Masonville in the afternoon of September 8th for the Sheriff's Office Civil Division and the property owner to complete a court-ordered eviction of a resident. According to a news release from the Delaware County Sheriff's Office, deputies were called to a reported trespass in progress at the home where the eviction had taken in place several hours after the resident had been kicked out. On arrival, deputies found the former resident, 31-year-old James Cook, inside the home. Authorities say they discovered the home had been forced into and there had been damage to the property. 
Investigators have accused Cook as being the person breaking into the home and causing the damage. They also say they found Cook had made verbal threats to the property owner via an unspecified electronic communications device. Cook was arrested on the evening of Sunday, September 11th, and charged with felony burglary, as well as, that's a felony, as well as two counts of criminal mischief, one count of aggravated harassment, and one count of criminal trespass, which are all misdemeanors. Cook was arraigned in the town of Masonville Court and sent to the Delaware County facility, Correctional Facility to await his next date in court. Village of Johnson City is looking for ideas for infusing new life into the village center, possibly with the help of $10 million from New York State. Village officials held a public meeting yesterday to talk about the application for $10 million in funding from the New York State Downtown Revitalization Initiative. The state awards can be used for both public and private projects. Village leaders are looking to build on new life that's been coming in the area of Corliss Avenue and Willow Street, where Binghamton University has opened a new school of pharmacy, is developing its new nursing college, a senior health clinic, and green space, and that has for years been an arts destination with the Shore Family Firehouse stage and the yet-to-be-finished rehabilitation of the historic Goodwill Theater. Other downtown revitalization initiative awards in the region have been given to Owego and Cortland for their business centers. According to the State Handbook for Investment Program, projects should be geared toward developing and sustaining healthy, vibrant, walkable downtowns. Projects also need to be catalysts for attracting and keeping business development in the region. Some of the comments already being directed toward village officials discuss the appearance of the numerous boarded-up storefronts along Main Street. Questions can be directed to Stephanie Yezzi at 607-797-9098 or Senior Planner at VillageofJC.com. WMBF Newstime, 1009. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast for the rest of today, sunshine. High in the mid-60s tonight, mostly clear. Bit on the chilly side, low in the low to mid-40s. Sunny tomorrow, a high in the mid-70s. Saturday, starting off with patchy fog in the morning, otherwise mostly sunny and a high getting into the low 80s. Sunday, mostly sunny, a 30% chance of afternoon showers, high in the low to mid-80s. And Monday, partly sunny, but a 50% chance of mainly afternoon showers and thunderstorms, and a high in the low 80s. Currently 53 in Binghamton. It's 10-11, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio WNBF. It's Bob Joseph. It's uh, 10, 12 a.m. 9, 12 a.m. in the Windy City. And 8, 12 in the Mile High City. And 7, 12 for our friends in Pacific Palisades. You know who you are. 
Feel free to call in now, 607-772-1290. You can also email the program, bob at wnbf.com. And we will see what happens, what will transpire in the next 60 minutes here at News Radio WNBF. I have a lot to talk about. We've got some um, big projects, small projects, um, interesting couple of stories I'm working on that uh, probably will wind up on WNBF.com this afternoon. So if you're interested in local news, if you want to know what's happening around here, check out the website, WNBF.com. We are here for you at News Radio on the air at 92.1 FM, 1290 AM. And of course, always available for free on the WNBF app. Dave in Binghamton, good morning. Good morning, Bob. But the, uh, most of the donuts made it over in time? Yeah, well, no, all the donuts made it intact. <laughs> I mean, the implications with some of the Twitter discussion would be that I helped myself. No, all I did once I got the donuts from the Union District of Endicott was uh, make a beeline for the station, admittedly slowing down to exactly 20, actually at one point in the school zone, Dave, in front of UE High School, I was going 19 miles an hour. And, man, I didn't know people had so many middle fingers. Oh, I, well, maybe that's because you added a, there was actually a one in front of that 19. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I've never been a district attorney, nor have I ever been a judge, and certainly I've never hosted a failed cable TV show. No, no. Thankfully, it's a successful uh, radio show. So, and I certainly, uh, but, uh, you know, not to. No, I was going to say something, but then people would take it the wrong way. Anyway, about the donuts. Uh, no, all twelve donuts arrived intact. The first person who uh, uh, was awarded one of those factory fresh donuts from the beautiful place in Endicott. Can I say the name? Sure. Uh, the cider mill. On Nanakoke Avenue in Endicott. Of course, I picked up a dozen donuts on my way into work because I thought, well, it's not quite Friday, almost, but I want to cheer people up. And the way you do it at work is you buy a bunch of the donuts. And sure enough, as soon as I walked through the door, our receptionist, I said, look what I have. And she said, oh, donuts. And so she uh, grabbed the first donut, and then I, I took the other donuts down to the break room, and I came in at exactly the right time to start the program so even though i was going 19 miles an hour at one point on east main street so what's on your mind today aside from delicious (laughs) fresh nutritious donuts it would be the uh airport and yeah so that question about the uh the number of gates uh shrinking down to two from six and the number of jets uh, bridges shrinking from uh, four to two is an interesting thing. Um, you know, with the amount of money that is being provided, you know, it, the airport definitely needs an upgrade and um, investments in it and to improve it. Uh, and thankfully, we are getting that funds for it. But reading through all the information that I could find, because I saw a uh, study done by McFarland Johnson, it's a 20 year master plan. Um, that they're updating 
it actually does say that, or that you know, one of the recommendations because of the decrease in passenger count uh, was they don't need the same amount of space based on the passenger counts and also the way airlines operate now. They're going from over uh, a dozen, almost, um, I think, 18 um, ticket counters. That was That's definitely too much since a lot of it now is digital with the kiosks and stuff. So, yeah, shrinking stuff like that down, I understand that's a good idea. But when you're trying to future-proof or, or uh, build an airport to what is needed, um, even if it doesn't seem like it's needed now based on the passenger count, doesn't mean that it won't be needed in the future. Um, and a, a perfect example of that is uh, Ithaca. So uh, the historical uh, boarding, Ithaca of the three Southern Tier airports has never been in the lead, but they still do have all, or they did still have all three airlines when Elmira and Binghamton lost um, United and American uh, in 2016. Um, but it's like, Ithaca is just uh, continuously in the 70 to 80,000 uh, boarding count. And that's, I think that's one thing that the airlines are looking at. It's a, it's a constant. Um, meanwhile, uh, Binghamton and Elmira fluctuate a little bit. Um, but that's not to say Binghamton can't increase again to take the lead like it was until 2008. Uh, in, in regards to passenger towns. And the examples I give for that is uh, Watertown and Plattsburgh, and especially Plattsburgh. So, like, Plattsburgh didn't even have an airport, uh, a commercial airport, until 2007. And their first full year uh, in operation, Plattsburgh had 40,000 uh, passengers boarding at the airport when uh, the previous uh, general aviation type airport had maybe 2,000 uh, boardings, um, and then they jumped to 40,000, and then they went way over 100,000 in a few short years. And that's with uh, Burlington being only 35 miles away. Granted, it's an hour drive for 35 miles, but even with Burlington, which has home almost three quarters of a million passenger count, Plattsburgh, 35 miles away, was able to jump all the way up to over 100,000 um, in a few short years. And Binghamton should be able to, with the improvements, get back up there again. Well, I hope so. I hope so. By the way, we will uh, have the uh, Aviation Commissioner on very soon, probably early next week. And as the county executive indicated, obviously he's excited about what's about to happen and we'll get more details about the plan i appreciate your call coming right up we'll be talking about a new initiative that's being rolled out in the town of fenton as the town strives to become a clean energy community that's coming up next live and local for you on a thursday morning i'm bob joseph on wnbf and wnbf.com WNBF, 1021 on your Thursday morning with Bob Joseph live. We'll be taking more of your phone calls coming up in just a few minutes, so don't touch 
your device if you're already in queue. Just uh, stick around or, gee, if you have some chicken sandwiches to go buy, stop by that chicken sandwich hut. You know the one I'm talking about. And go buy yourself a bunch of chicken sandwiches. And then, you know, by then you can call back and... Tell us how delicious those chicken sandwiches really are. In the meantime, though, we're talking about something new that will be happening in the town of Fenton as the town works to become a clean energy community. We're joined now by Michael Grasso, the chairperson of the town's Conservation Advisory Committee, and Adam Flint, director of Clean Energy Programs Network for a Sustainable Tomorrow, NEST. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Morning, Bob. Always a pleasure. Yes, it's great to uh, have you on the program this morning and talk about this Heat Smart initiative. Uh, Mr. Grasso, first, just a little background about the town's Conservation Advisory Committee and um, the work that you and other members of the panel have been up to. Well, Bob, the Conservation Advisory Committee is taking the lead in this endeavor for the clean energy community. The town has already taken steps to become a clean energy community by benchmarking town energy use, changing streetlights to LED, adopting the New York State Energy Code, and unifying solar permit. Now, Bob, we need the help of town residents to help us with our Heat Smart campaign. Bob, we have teamed up with uh, the Network for Sustainable Tomorrow, or NEST, to help us with our community outreach program to provide residents with information on clean heating and cooling technologies and financial incentives for installing clean heating and cooling appliances. And I'm sure the listeners have heard ads on the radio or seen, t- uh, seen ads on TV for heat pumps and insulating your home, but may be apprehensive about contacting the vendors. So on September 21st at 7 a.m. at the town hall, town of Fenton Hall, Located at 44 Park Street, residents will get a chance to learn more about clean heating and cooling from the network of sustainable tomorrow. You know, Bob, quite a few residents already have installed heat pumps and to cool and heat their homes and to reduce their fuel consumption. Now we want to encourage other residents to consider installing heat pumps to heat and cool their homes and help the town become a clean energy committee, especially now. Since the price of heating oil, which a lot of our residents use, is at an all-time high, you know, just recently, Bob, I paid four seventy-nine nine per gallon for fuel oil. Holy that's cow! Quite the price. Yeah, yeah that, that's probably about double what you Ouch. paid for last winter. Yes, that is double from yeah. last winter. I, yep. Well, I've heard so, people with with stories about what they're they're paying for heating oil as they get set for the the new heating season which unfortunately is about to get underway in the next few weeks and just the thought that whether you heat with oil or natural gas or whatever electricity no matter what your heating uh, energy source is going to be you're going to be paying much 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 more over the next four or five months than than you did last season now adam flint tell us about Nest, and I know you've been on the program uh, previously giving the basic overview of what the mission is for Network for a Sustainable Tomorrow. But in case people haven't uh, heard about Nest, of course, it was just recent, fairly recently rebranded. Give us a little bit of the history and, and the 
mission of the organization. Sure thing, Bob. You and I go back a few years. So um, we used to be called the Binghamton Regional Sustainability Coalition. Now we're called Network for Sustainable Tomorrow. Uh, and we really have sort of two main missions. One is doing outreach and education, in this case, to help connect folks with the information about incentives and technologies that they need to make a decision about whether they would like to have a heat pump installed in their home, have some energy efficiency work done and whatnot. And we also bring uh, different groups and individuals to together in the community uh, to create new initiatives in the sustainability field. And one example of that is the Southern Door Community Land Trust, which was created a couple of years ago, which we fiscally sponsor uh, to do something about the rather abysmal state of uh, low-income housing in this community. Uh, in terms of what we're doing with um, the town of Fenton, we're going to be there with our partners to provide information uh, for the residents. Well, obviously, we're not going to keep people out who aren't from the town of Fenton, but this is for the town of Fenton residents primarily, um, so that they can make an informed decision based on the facts around the technologies and the incentives as to whether this makes sense for them. I should also mention that I myself uh, had a geothermal or ground source heat pump installed about a decade ago. At that time, the all-time high in 2008 was $4.05 a gallon. And so when I hear Mr. Grasso saying almost $4.80 a gallon, that is, uh, those are scary numbers. Um, and that's certainly one very compelling reason to install heat pumps. Uh, they're also extremely comfortable. Um, they're a really good way to heat and cool a home. And uh, we are talking about winter right now, but heat pumps go in two directions, so you also have air conditioning as well. Well, very important information, and for our listeners in the town of Fenton, it definitely sounds as though it's something they ought to look into and perhaps uh, get the additional information uh, at the meeting, which is coming up next Wednesday, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, it's going to be on the 21st, Wednesday, uh, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Town of Fenton Hall there at 44 Park Street, Port Crane. I know it well. Michael Grasso, are the state police still working with their crime lab near the Town Hall building? Yes, they are, Bob. They're still working there. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Every once in a while, I look in the window, and they shoo me away. Like, well, if any of them live nearby, that you should uh, <laughs> maybe they'll fly over there and tell them to come by, take a break from uh, yeah, from, from time and from uh, the, and, and look into their uh, home improvement needs from their arduous investigative tasks. They should investigate better energy value. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> anyway, and they're probably saying, "Bob, you don't really look in our windows." And no, I'm kidding. They're they're like they're reviewing all their their security they're video footage, saying, for "You, Bob, they're yeah." For you. And they're like, <laughs> "We we looked at the the security video from the last five years, and we see no evidence of Bob peering in our windows." Turns out he was just joking. But you know, <laughs> Governor Hochul will order the investigation anyway. Gentlemen, a pleasure. Adam Flint, Michael Grasso, thank you so much. And um, hopefully uh, some people in the town of Fenton can be better positioned to deal with uh, energy costs, not just for this winter, but uh, for the foreseeable future. One important detail we forgot to mention is that if you want to register for this event, which is very helpful for us, you could do so online at nynest.org. That's nynest.org or give us a call 
at 607-873-9220, 607-873-9220. Adam Flint, Director of Clean Energy Programs for NEST, Network for a Sustainable Tomorrow, as well as Michael Grasso, Chairperson for the Town of Fenton Conservation Advisory Committee. Thank you both. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Bye-bye. It's 10.30. This is News Radio WNBF. No, I was not looking in the window. First of all, there are no windows to really look into, you see? And yet, you can just imagine a conversation about to be placed between the state police superintendent and Governor Hochul's director of security. How could he be looking through the window at the state police crime lab? I told you. I told you. If I told you once, I told you a million times. Put some old newspapers over the windows. He might find something out that we are trying to keep under wraps. Because, as you know, the investigation is continuing. Bob Joseph with you at News Radio WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming live at WNBF.com. This Friday. on WNBF and it's 607-772-1290 with uh, fully operational phone lines. The Promise of America. Vic from the Forks. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. You know, when I was growing up, people used to call me Vinny. I, I just had to throw up there because I just thought about it. <laughs> well, that's very cool. That's very cool. And someday, you know, they might call him Vic. Right. Oh, no, that just came into my head. I wasn't picking on anybody. But um, I'm calling about Jason Garner. Oh, the Broome County executive who was on just a few minutes ago talking about the budget proposal. And great job with the surplus and the lower taxes, Jason, if you're listening. Great job. But uh, uh, on the solar farms, uh, it's kind of upsetting to me that people are still buying into that. And I can say that to Jason because Jason himself admitted the Broome County solar farm w was a, a big mistake. Uh, out of every projected dollar, and I go I, I didn't Google, I foiled the information uh, from the county itself. And for every dollar projected it only that it would make, it would only made seven cents. Four cents of that goes to Elon Musk. The county gets three. Had they taken that four to five million dollars and invested, let's say, in Bitcoin, we wouldn't be paying any taxes in Broome County because the county would be filthy rich and wouldn't need the money. And even if they put it in a 1.5 percent interest-bearing bond, it would make more money than it makes 
sitting up there in Conklin right now. Yeah, well, keep in mind, I mean, in the interest of full disclosure, it was Debbie Preston's idea. It wasn't Jason Garner's. Yeah, but the, my point being, Bob, that because, because it's a popular thing to go green with a lot of people, we keep putting all that money out there for the green projects, and we're losing it. The taxpayers here, if, if, if it's such a good idea, and since most of the funding comes from the taxpayers themselves, then why do we have to buy the energy that we're paying for to be built? Why aren't they distributing it for free if it's a, such a good idea? Uh It's because it isn't. What's happening is these companies that are building these solar farms, like the the 120-acre one right down the road from me, has sold three times before it was even finished because they they get the carbon credits, and then they sell to investors who then sell it out, and they sell it out. And now that farm, Bobby, if you want to take a ride up here and take a left right before the Dollar General store, the plants are already overgrowing the solar panels. Well, but you know, whatever. It, you know, I, I don't. I, I can't. I can't speak for the way things are maintained. I will say, going back six and a half years, this is what the county executive Debbie Preston said. "Quote in Conklin, we're finalizing an agreement for a solar farm which will produce four megawatts, enough to cover twenty-five percent of county departments' total power demand, reducing costs by millions of dollars while protecting the environment." So that that was the promise of solar power, as promulgated by Debbie Preston. And that she probably made them statements after being sold on the spill. Well, of course, of course. But, you know, to to single one project, to single out one project in Broome County out of uh, hundreds or thousands of projects that never live up to their expectations or to the promises, I mean, you know, we could come up with uh, a Casey Kasem-style top 40 list of things that were promised us that were never delivered. You know, we, we could do that once a week, and uh, you and I could host a countdown show. You know, I, I agree with that statement, Bob. I, I, I think we could because we get too many promises of new things, of, of Kilmer Swamp Root, and that it'll cure all. And it doesn't cure all. It just makes more ills for the county. Yeah, but at least it gives me something to cover. If they didn't come up with these plans, regardless of whether they're designed to work as well as, as they suggest, what would we cover? You know, if, if we just sat around um, looking at looking at the sun and say, gee, there's no way we could actually use all that energy, all that solar energy that comes down on us here in, in Binghamton every day. How come we can't use that for our own purposes? I mean, we wouldn't have many stories to report. We'd be forced to talk about the new fire hydrants in Owego. Bob, on that note, I'd like to say, that back in 2010, 2011, and 2012, when me and a couple of my teammates from the Joint Landowner Coalition was going to every town board meeting in upstate New York and presenting uh, uh, the story on ad valerum tax, a tax that stays right in the county, and that each natural gas well drilled will have a $20 million ad valerum tax over the life of the well. And that's not happening from a solar farm. There's no ad valerum tax for solar farms. Those solar farms produce taxes. They don't give you a tax break. 
and that's just sad. It's just sad that people don't understand that. Now, I'm not against wind. Oh, I am against wind because a windmill never take, pays for itself in carbon credits or, or in carbon reduction. But I, uh, I'm not against solar. I think solar is a good idea for the individual that wants to put it on his rooftop. But these community solar farms are taking away farmland. The one down the road from... Yeah, well, the one at the airport won't take away any farmland. That's true, Bob. It, it won't. It won't. But God, God forbid, should a pilot come in on a windy day and get sun reflected into his face? You know, I, you know that's just. You know. He should get those uh, aviator glasses that uh, uh, the guy from Scranton wears. Use use them. Make sure. The other thing is, if you see a reflection, and this is true even when you're driving, bright lights or some other reflection or a shiny object. Uh, don't look directly at it. Avert your eyes and and continue to fly the plane. Fly the plane. Can I can I make a, a comment on something different, Bob? Oh, well, if you make if you make a comment in thirty seconds, but because we have a very very important caller coming up, if you can give me a thirty second comment, please. Please. The other day, I went to the Touch of Texas and uh, attended a Kathy Newcomb's uh, announcement of a running mate. Uh, chief of police from Vesco, and that both of them are 10 times better than having to retrain uh, Fred Akshar for Broome County Sheriff. And I don't think we need someone that, that has a poor history in politics to come back to Binghamton and try to get that job. I, I think Kathy Newcomb is the best choice, and and I admire her for her work, and I'm a, I'm a large donor to her campaign, and I think she's a—and I'm a Republican— as a matter of fact, I got two signs on my car. This Republican supporting Kathy Newcomb, and I think a lot of people should cross the party line in this case. Uh, I'm a diehard Republican with Christian with Christian values, but I'm not a dummy. I don't vote for the person with the most yard signs. I vote for the person that's doing the job and doing it well. Well, I appreciate the call. Thank you. That's Vic from the Forks at 1044 on WNBF. It's live and local with Bob Joseph. Taking calls now, 607-772-1290. Now a very important caller, VIC, John from Binghamton. I, uh, I'd i like to give the balance of my time to uh, Vic. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> you know, he, uh, he uh, says uh, what I agree with. Uh, you know, the most, just on the solar farm, the most egregious thing about that was a 99-year lease. I mean, the only 99-year leases I've ever heard of has been associated with the British Crown. I mean, all that real estate in London is, you know, 99-year leases. That's that's uh, that's something else. Oh, and the, uh, what what was the lease for the, the Ross Park Zoo? Uh, I, I think it's like cats, now and forever. <laughs> you know, I, anytime I hear any deal... Any deal at all that involves longer than, say, fifteen or twenty years, I, I just I shake my head. But anyway, I, I digress. Yeah, well, I I call the talk about Rich Davis campaign commercial, uh, but you know the, the county executive is interesting. He's given double digit, almost triple digit in one case pay increases, and he he's calling it investments or upgrades. You know, these are just old-fashioned pay increases, uh, you know. Uh, and, you know, these these rounding error uh, tax reductions are, are really a scam. And, you know, the county is selling a property to 
the First Ward Action Council that they have fourteen thousand dollars in into. It's assessed at seventy. Uh, they, they they didn't they fronted fourteen thousand in, in taxes to the various municipalities and school districts. They're selling it to the First Ward Action Council for fifteen hundred. It's assessed at sixty or seventy, and it's on Zillow for like a hundred and twenty four. I, I I just don't understand the the nature of these deals and why you just wouldn't uh, and this this new land trust, there's a property there they're gonna have sell to that new land trust. There you the guy you just had on for a buck. I, I don't I don't know what this what these people are doing, but they're definitely not investing. Uh anyway, Rich David's got a campaign commercial uh, and he, he uh, doesn't say anything about being the Republican candidate. In fact, he calls himself now the independent voice. And there's a, it flashes on the screen, and it shows him sh- looking at Fred Akshar, and it says, uh, bipartisan. So uh, uh, essentially, uh, Rich David, who was given the Republican nomination by the Broom GOP chairman is now essentially distancing himself to the point where he doesn't even refer in his campaign commercial that he's the Republican candidate. And uh, apparently, if you look at it, you, you say, well, oh, okay, he's working with Akshar. Akshar's the Republican. So, uh, you know, this is just a, a complete charade, uh, you know. Uh, and the fact is, and it shows him, you know, it's interesting how these politicians they it shows him with all these blueprints and walking around with a hard hat you know like he's a big developer let's look at it let's look at it. look at that tennis court look at this fantasy on the uh, uh, sewage treatment plant they were talking well, speaking about speaking ten- by the way well, well, yeah a couple yeah a couple things there um oh before i forget i wanted to clarify about the 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 ross park lease i made it sound like it was really really long as in maybe 99 years, it's actually just a 25-year lease extension. So I, I just want to correct that uh, for the record, that it, it's not as though it was a 99-year lease. It was only a 25-year lease extension that was announced by Mayor David. Uh, excuse me. Oh, yes, it was announced by Mayor David, I believe, last year. And then uh, Mayor Cram announced a 25-year lease extension in uh, March for the neighboring Discovery Center. So I just wanted to clarify that. Now, as far as... Um, and a dollar a year. <laughs> well, you know, hey, it's, it's a good... Sounds like a good deal. Um, Can you pitch a tent for a dollar a year? Can you go to a campground for a dollar a year? Of course not. Now, uh, continue with your thought. I, I'm sorry that I, no, I interrupted. No, I just want. I always try to be a, as accurate as possible. I, I, I don't want to leave the, the wrong impression. Well, we haven't got a Republican Party in this town. We've got Republican socialists. We've got a small clique of people that that want these uh, uh, offices. They they want to. They come off a, a big pension, and then they want to run for the legislature. This is the type of people uh, that they think. And I, and I guess, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know what these people ever accomplish. I mean, now, Gar- Garner cites an inflation rate of 18% from, I don't know, from some point to some point. The fact of the matter is, is that... Uh, when inflation was like one or two points, they were raising taxes by 70%. So, I mean, you know, how far do we want to go back on this, this boondoggle? I'm, I'm just telling you this right now, that the, the, 
the, the whole damn thing is so out of balance, it's not funny. Every housing project now is a tax credit subsidized deal. And what brought people here, uh, it was cheap rents. Now, here, here's the example. Say you're rooming with somebody and you're, you're paying $3,000 for a room or something. You know, you can go to Texas. You can go to Virginia. You can go anywhere. These rents now have equalized in the, in the city of Binghamton and in the county of Broome to the point where, you know, you can pack up the U-Haul and leave here. So you're, this is why they can't, uh, 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 people can't hire people. Uh, I mean, the hospital's looking for 90-day wonders. You walk in, they'll give you $15 an hour. They'll call you a nurse's aide contingent with you getting a shingle uh, uh, within 90 days. I mean, this is crazy, crazy stuff, but nobody can compete with the county. You know, if the county's going to give these raises out, the poor guy that, that needs a fry cook isn't going to get get a fry cook because the guy's going to say, hey, I can go over and work at the county. I can be a dispatcher. It's cleaner work. Appreciate your observations. That's John from Binghamton of VIC. Very important caller at 1051 on this Thursday morning. We've got more calls coming up, so if you have something to say, you had better uh, make a serious decision about whether or not you're going to call 607-772-1290. Call if you dare. The other thing to do, if you dare, stop by and take a look at the vehicles, Miller Motors and the Parkway Investal, they are there for you. If you're looking for a new Honda, a new Hyundai, stop in. Members of the Miller Auto Team will explain the options. Vehicles already in the pipeline, so even if they don't currently have a particular vehicle that you might be looking for, they may have information that something perfect for you is on its way so stop in at miller motors 4455 vestal parkway east directly across from binghamton university they'll be open tonight until seven and if a used vehicle sounds more appropriate for your current situation check out their inventory of previously owned vehicles online at millerautoteam.com miller motors they are there to serve you. They've been there serving people in the Binghamton area for several decades, and they'll be there for a long time to come. It's Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal. It's 1052. You're listening to News Radio, WNBF. Planet. WNBF Live with Bob Joseph. The voice of reason during unreasonable times. Let's check out the email bag. Uh, we've got email coming in constantly and occasionally. Some letters actually make it through the process of um, you know the judges and they, they get read on the program. For example, this one has uh, made it through the process, interestingly. It was only uh, sent in about 20 minutes ago by Mark in Binghamton, and I will read the subject line, Bussing Immigrants from Texas. 
busing immigrants from Texas. Bob, on your show, you repeatedly refer to the busing of immigrants and asylum seekers as being forced, cruel, and illegal. Just to set the record straight, below is a news item from CNN where the reporter interviews both those being bussed and an advocate for an organization that houses and supports them. The truth is that the people want to take the buses as it gets them closer to family, friends, and their ultimate destination. I hope after reviewing the news clip, you'll stop misrepresenting what Texas and other other states are doing. Thanks, Mark and Binghamton. Thank you, Mark, for your email. Uh, one thing that I don't mention as often as I should, I will not click on any link. So that link may actually lead to a story. The headline, according to this link, migrants want to go on buses. So actually, let me do a Google search because I don't click on links, but let's see. Migrants want to go on buses. Okay. Zero results on Google. So Mark sent me a link and it says CNN News migrants want to go on buses. When you Google that migrants want to go on buses no results. So I have no idea. Absolutely no idea what that link is. It could be a link to a fine CNN story, or it could be who knows what, but I'll be darned if I'm going to click on a link sent in. I don't click on links. Why, why would you? Who in their right mind would click on a link? So we get the whole place shut down? But to your point, whether... You know, maybe it's not forced, and maybe you don't think it's cruel. Have you ever been on a bus, by the way? When's the last time you rode on a bus from Texas to New York City, Mark? Trust me, it's cruel. I don't know if it's forced. I've The longest bus trip I ever went on was from Endicott to Miami. Oh, wasn't forced. Well, I had to go because I was working for the marching band at the time, and we had an appointment in Miami on New Year's Eve, so the only way we could get there was on bus. But, yeah, it was cruel, and I would not wish that on anyone. It's 11 o'clock, more coming up right here. Bob Joseph on WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Really feeling like an autumnal kind of day today. Sunshine, temperatures in the 60s. Some major improvements are coming to the facilities at the Greater Binghamton Airport thanks to a multi-million dollar investment from New York State. Governor Kathy Hochul made a stop at the airport in the town of Maine yesterday morning to announce BGH will receive $32 million as part of a $230 million investment into upstate New York airports. The upgrades will include terminal renovations to make the Greater Binghamton Airport more modern and travel Traveler-friendly. BGH work will focus on relocating the General Aviation Terminal to integrate it with the Passenger Terminal, as well as creating a new airport canopy designed to collect rainwater and house solar panels and the construction of a 3,000-square-foot General Aviation Customs and Border Patrol facility south of the terminal. The announcement comes just two weeks after the county executive, Jason Garner, announced that Avello Airlines would begin providing direct flights to Orlando and 
in Fort Myers, Florida. Prior to that announcement, Broome County's airport only had regular Delta airline service with a single flight to Detroit. The village of Johnson City Police say a Syracuse man is being charged with felony counts of rape and forcible compulsion in a reported sexual assault on Saturday. According to a news release from the police department, which authorities also posted to social media, 26-year-old Antonio Bethune was found along with the alleged female victim after the report of the attack on September 10th. The initial news release pointed out the Syracuse man was arraigned then released from custody with no bail set, while authorities indicated they felt the suspect should have been held. Hours later, the police posted an update to their Facebook page saying further information from a New York State Supreme Court judge, quote, indicates there are some circumstances in cases such as this as a result of bail reform restrictions that left the judge with little choice but to release a suspect without bail. The Post continues to say authorities plan to have further discussions with the Sixth Judicial Court concerning circumstances where a suspect could be held on bail. The Post concludes, quote, the Johnson City Police Department wants to make sure that the public is aware of what is happening in their communities, but it is the most important that we make sure we have all the facts before we express our outrage. number of media outlets previously reported the initial arrest pointing out the suspect's release without posting bail. And uh, one-time aide to former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is filing a new lawsuit saying he sexually harassed her and then smeared her reputation after she became the second woman to publicly accuse him of misconduct. Charlotte Bennett's lawsuit filed in a federal court in New York City this week repeats many of the allegations she talked about publicly in the year and a half since she first began telling her story. The lawsuit is at least the second to be filed by one of the multiple women who accused Cuomo of sexual harassment before the scandal led to his resignation last summer. Bennett is also suing Cuomo's aides, the former secretary of the governor, Melissa DeRosa, as well as the former chief of staff. They were named as defendants in the lawsuit along with him. Bennett alleges in court paperwork that Cuomo's staff members contributed to an environment where he sexualized comments and discriminatory expectations against women, such as being pressured to wear more feminine attire when he was in the office were allowed. She also claimed that they took part in transferring her to an inferior position after she shared her experiences with them and they failed to report her claims to the governor's office of employee relations as required by the executive department's equal employment opportunity handbook. The um, lawsuit specified damages. In a statement, the Cuomo attorney Rita Glavin said Cuomo has always said he didn't harass anyone and she added, quote, we'll see them in court. Meanwhile, the former governor has also filed ethics complaints against the state attorney general, Letitia James. He's reiterating his oft-repeated concerns about a sexual harassment investigation that led to his resignation. Cuomo questioned the accuracy and credibility of the investigation's finding. He's alleging James, a fellow Democrat, used the probe to tarnish him and further her own political interests. James, who briefly ran for governor after Cuomo resigned, had her own politically motivated and self-interested driven agenda, according to Cuomo. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast. Sunshine for today, high in the mid-60s, mostly clear tonight. Patchy fog toward morning, the low again dipping into the 40s. Friday starts off with patchy fog in the morning. Otherwise, sunshine and a high in the mid-70s. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WMBF, WMBF.com and at 92.1 FM.
WNBF with Bob Joseph live 607-772-1290 accountability accountability is important and if you think people should be accountable especially elected officials this is your program the accountability station WNBF 607-772-1290 we'll ask a few questions sometimes we'll get some answers sometimes we'll get radio silence because some people don't believe in accountability anyway uh, we do the best we can obviously we can't force them we can't force them to answer the questions about how they spend your money about why things don't go the way they were advertised you know big announcements every every few days there's some sort of big announcement from some big announcement person and the announcements are big the coverage is profuse the headlines are beautiful and then you wait and you wait and you wait and you say wait you guys said that something big was happening how come something big isn't happening here you drive by I drove by a couple of places today I won't specify for now where big announcements had been made not just a few weeks ago or a few months ago some cases years ago big big announcements some of the biggest announcements ever and you say to yourself well of course not everything will work out you don't expect things in life always to work out that's just the reality there's no shame you had a big idea a big plan a big development some sort of concept that sounded good and got you in the lead position on action news or a giant headline on the front page of New York today well okay that's good then something happened either the whole thing fell through or it had to be changed it had to be downsized it was delayed for circumstances beyond your control well give an update give an update let people know what's up well we could give you an update but so oh, that would be too boring no no it's fine it's fine to give updates and by the way information does not have to be provided to your constituents only when there's a carefully choreographed media event I know that's all the rage well that's the way we should do it we, we could have it completely controlled and that way uh, any questions that are be, being asked they're, they're, they could be limited and at the point where it starts getting too specific we could say hey that's all the time we have for now bye-bye until the next media event but that's how it's being operated now and you know unfortunately because of the current state of America's journalistic infrastructure they can get away with it they can get away with it you know it's a, it's a real shame it's a real shame now more than ever when elected officials school officials and others should be working hard to inform their constituents inform you the hard-working taxpayer they choose 
to say less and less. Remember, if you will, there was a time when a mayor of Binghamton by the name of Alfred Libus would hold multiple news conferences a week. I believe at one time, Mayor Libus had a standing session with reporters, not one or two reporters, several reporters at City Hall every weekday morning at 10 o'clock. Sometimes the mayor would answer questions from reporters. Sometimes the mayor would invite a department head to answer questions from reporters. Because Republican Mayor Alfred Libus and even his successor, Democratic Mayor Juanita Crabb, they believed in informing the constituents. So now, fast forward to 2022, when's the last time? When is the last time that the mayor held just a general news conference for all reporters? You know, if he can't make it to this program, which obviously he can't because we're a block away from City Hall, okay, okay, I get it. He doesn't want to hear my questions. He doesn't want to hear your questions. But why doesn't he just do a news conference, maybe not every day, maybe not even twice a week? Why doesn't he do it once a week? Maybe on a Tuesday, or maybe a Wednesday, or maybe a Monday. Start the thing, actually, start the week off every Monday at 1 p.m. with a news conference at City Hall, in the mayor's office, in the conference room, and invite all journalists. That's right, including the one who may ask a few questions. Say, this is the weekly news conference. So if reporters have questions about things going on in this fine city, they can ask. No topic is off limits. No topic will be off limits every Monday for an hour at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, streamed live on the city website and also media websites, and then people would know what's going on in Binghamton. You could still hold all the big announcements for all the big projects that are going to come in the parlor city over the next three years. You can still do that. But in addition to doing those big productions, carefully choreographed and orchestrated announcements with everybody in the right position, hold a, a general news conference. Let the people from the TV stations, the people from the newspapers, the people from the Internet, the people from radio even. Hey, let them ask away. Transparency in government as well as accountability. That would be nice. That's what they tried to do at City Hall. Now, I will say, for example, I mentioned uh, going way back, Mayor Libis had lots of media availabilities for some reason. But that's the way he governed. I don't know. Is it apparently, apparently a lot of people think Alfred Libis 
his style of of being accessible to reporters and allowing reporters to actually speak directly with department heads apparently some people think that was a bad way of governing the city now mayor crab continued to, to have some ex accessibility but she did cut back she didn't hold as many routine news conferences and she certainly held more i think news conferences that were big announcements I think Mayor Bucci had some, I don't know that he ever held a general news conference. Maybe mostly they were for big announcements. Uh, Mayor Ryan, I think he seemed to have quite a few availabilities. I don't know that he ever held a general news conference. But keep in mind, Mayor Ryan came on this program every other Tuesday. So whether you like him or not, and I, I certainly concede, you know, some people like him and some people may not, but at least he came on every other week. And there were times, believe it or not, that he didn't like some of the questions or some of the topics. Then Richard David was mayor. And during his first term, first four years, like clockwork, every Tuesday morning, I think Mayor David's attendance on the program was better than my attendance during the first four years. Then he got reelected and he won a second term. And because of term limits, there was no hope of staying in City Hall after eight years. And then mysteriously, he cut back his appearances from 26 a year to 12. But still, Rich David came on the first Tuesday of every month during his second term. As far as I know, he didn't miss a Tuesday, even when he was out of town. There were, there were occasions where Richard David pulled over. He was heading back, say, from a, a conference in Albany or somewhere else in New York State, and he pulled over, I believe, so he could keep his appointment every Tuesday between 10 and 11 to answer a few questions, even if some of the topics were not things he really wanted to talk about. I miss those days. It's 1120. This is Bob Joseph on News Radio. WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM and streaming on WNBF.com. You watch your recording. talking to somebody the other day somebody in a position to know about some things around here just generally about government and um, it was just a brief conversation while I was out working a breaking news story and we were talking just generally about government nothing specifically and the person said it's lies it's all lies and this is a person who works in a government position whose name, of course, won't be mentioned because then the person's livelihood could be jeopardized. The person who listens to the program, as many persons do, and including a lot of people in government, the thing about uh, government now, 
under no circumstances, if, if you work in government, under no circumstances can you contact the program, at least on the air. You can't call the program and talk about what's going on, because if you do, you're probably going to be fired. You might not be fired if you have certain union protection, but they would take steps because there's probably, not probably, I'm sure there's language in your employment agreement that precludes you from calling a radio program to tell the truth. Doesn't preclude people from telling the truth off the air. Because when you start hearing more about what's going on around here off the air, you, you do have to sometimes shake your head and say, well, well, isn't that intriguing? Hmm. So, yeah, you can you can use your imagination. If if there are people who don't want to answer questions, imagine why. Why wouldn't you? As I've said before, and and you can see in certain cities where those in charge don't mind a little appearance of accountability including some of America's biggest cities. And then uh, there are other places, well, you know, we're so busy. We're so busy looking to the future and making fine improvements. We're too busy to answer anyone's questions or return phone calls. Just too busy. Here's uh, a note from a listener named Mike regarding county budget employee investment. Just a little side story to the comment the guy made. I am one of those former county employees that they've been hemorrhaging for the last couple of years. The reason they're putting so much money into upgrading the positions in the pay scales is because they've been paying employees $13 an hour with very little, if any, raises every year. But now with the cost of inflation and the competitive job market, they have no choice but to try to play catch-up, which they should have been doing incrementally for the last 20 years. Thank you, Mike, for putting that into some context. Also, uh, Dave from Binghamton contacted us via Twitter at Binghamton Now. This is his tweet. Did I really just hear a complaint that an emergency services dispatcher would get paid more than an employee at a fast food restaurant? Wow. Wow. Yeah, I think that's I think that was the assertion or the implication. And by the way, I do patronize some fast food, excuse me, quick service establishments and I commend their employees and managers for doing hard work and sometimes working long hours at, at pay that's probably not sufficient. So I I respect and um, thank all the, the people who work at those quick service food establishments. So thank you. But to Dave's point, I do think that if you're working as an emergency services dispatcher, you probably should be compensated more than that. 
I don't know. I, I don't know what what the right pay is for any position for an emergency dispatcher or for people who work in restaurants or for that matter journalists. I mean obviously people who go into the lucrative world of journalism didn't do it for the money. 607-772-1290 is our number and the email address is bob at wnbf.com of course we're here every weekday morning from 9 to noon by the way important programming note circle this in your radio guide for friday's program which means tomorrow's program from 10 to 11 america's beloved historian jerry smith will be on the air so make sure you tune in tomorrow for historian jerry smith right here on wnbf welcome Six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety to talk live on News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. Back the phones we go. It's DJ in Binghamton. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Hey, you know, my stepfather, Bob, used to have a saying. He said, you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. And so I was listening to you saying about, you know, certain individuals not coming on, right? Why don't you just email them the questions that you're going to ask them so they can prepare and get ready for them? No, never, ever. No, never, ever. No, never, ever. If you hear somebody on the program, the questions are not going to be provided to them. It's just like debates. You don't provide questions ahead of time. Look, anybody who comes on the program, I don't care who they are, if, if they agree to come on the program, they know what the questions are going to be. So they call them softball questions. They want softball questions. That's what they want. I don't care if I if I sent them ten of the hardest ball questions on the planet. That's not how I'm going to operate. I don't want. That's exactly what they want. That's why. That's why they don't return phone calls even off the air. They want to. They want to conduct government by email. So every and businesses are doing this the same way. So basically, they say, "Well, do you have any specific questions? Just email me your questions." Then they'll have a, a bunch of people, probably including lawyers, come up with responses to the questions. Here's your response. Oh, DJ, if I could show you some of the stuff that has emerged from those those times where I've been forced to pose questions by email and then the the answers oh my gosh the answers that are carefully crafted to avoid some of the the most specific issues and see you need the ability if you want to get the full story for anything you need the ability to do a follow-up in real time well i understand that you know i i do have a degree in communications i, I know what you're saying but here's the thing 
the listeners want to hear debate, and they're not going to debate on your station. Well, that's okay. That's okay. That's a decision they need to make. That shows, you know, it's a question of courage. So Rich David, Matt Ryan, Richard Bucci, Juanita Crabb, Al Libis, uh, even, look, Jason Garner, even Debbie Preston, up to a point, used to come on the program, and other county executives, questions were never given to them in advance. And trust me, I mean, after a while, Debbie Preston stopped coming on because she, she too, finally didn't think that, that the questions that she would face on this program deserved an answer. So that sh that's, that's a certain level of respect, if you will, that's a certain level of respect for, for county residents or your constituents if you don't think questions ought to be answered on a live radio program. The only live radio program. The only live radio program in town. Well, Bob, I want you to know, when I talk to some of these people, I tell them to go ahead and come on and just, you know, deal with whatever it is. But I remember when uh, you were talking to Sophia Resiniti and she hung up and the phone went, eh. Right. Good for her. That, that says something. And I think people should take that into account. You know, that, that was a good case in point. And, hey, if you, if you want to run for something and don't think that you're willing to debate the issues, in that particular case, I, I think, when she called in about something, a specific subject, and then before, after she said what she wanted to say about a specific subject, then I asked her whether she would debate Donna Lepardo, that's when that fabulous incident happened. And and I've asked her since, and it's like, oh, oh no, I, I don't. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but but the upshot is, no. Do I expect her to come in the studio? I could come up with a list of people who no longer have the courage to answer questions on live radio. But that's that's a life choice. We all make our choices. Yeah, they think. Well, they think they're being smart. I don't know if it's about courage. They think they're just being smart, and they don't want to. Look okay, like they're being smart. It's a calculation because they don't think that their constituents have a right to hear about all potential issues in real time. They want to control the narrative, and that's the best way to control your narrative by never coming on a live radio program. Hey, I get it. I get it. I've been doing it a long time. I get. Why people at first are willing to come on the program, as in, say, the school superintendent, and then when things get a little tough, and when there are some more difficult issues that need to be addressed, then suddenly, radio silence. I understand. I fully appreciate what's going on. I don't need it explained to me. I fully understand. Hey, it's, it's their choice. Like I say, it's a lifestyle choice. Jim in Binghamton, good morning. All right, Jim, if you want, feel free to call back. We got off on a tangent there. Uh, 1136 at News Radio, WNBF, WNBF.com. By the way, for those elected officials, perhaps, who... <laughs> I know this is funny. Sounds funny to even say on the program. To those elected officials who perhaps would like to actually come on the program and answer a few questions, 
to send me an email, bob at wnbf.com. You know, obviously, we know those who don't have the temerity to do it, but there may be others who've never been on the program before and want to talk about their town or village or even their city or even their county. If you want to come on the program, send me a note. It could probably be arranged if you want to ask a few questions and inform your constituents. On the other hand, you can sit back and listen to the program like everyone else. Hi, WNBF. Good morning. You're on the air. Uh, what's your first name and where are you calling from? Good Lord, Bob. You baited me. How the heck did you do that this morning? I don't you know. You are definitely on a roll this morning. You've been cracking up since the second you got on the air. And I got to tell you, Jesse from Wego, that's why so many people listen. And that's why so many people agree with me, even if they don't agree with me on the issues. Most agree with me that if you're an elected official, if you are getting money from the public, whether it's in a, a government office or a school district office, you have an obligation to answer a few questions. <laughs> you said, and I know I heard it because I have very astute ears. So you're saying what? Three years, and you're going to retire? Oh, some people are. Close? Some people are hoping that'll happen, and then they'll come on the program with the next host. Well, See, I think what they what they can... want what they want is someone. And and look, we saw the pattern. We saw the pattern in the past where people specifically came on this program when I took a day off. I mean, it was fascinating and predictable, but also sad that they would not come on the program anymore with its current facilitator. But then if I took a day or two off, suddenly people who hadn't been on the program materialize and it's like, Oh, yeah, now I'll be on the program because I know everyone's listening, but I don't have to answer a few questions from him. The only pattern I remember is that old TV pattern when they shut off at midnight. You remember that? Yeah, who could forget? <laughs> so, anyway. Anyways, Bob. Well, you know, it's, again, you know, the, the program, here, here's the thing. I mean, the program will always be the program. And for those who think that they're doing the best they can, which includes not coming on the program, hey, that's, as I say, that's a lifestyle choice. I, I fully appreciate it. Personally, if I was an elected official who was proud of my record, I would come on the program every time I was invited. But that's just me. I would view it as an opportunity to speak directly with the people. Because you can't do it any other way. You can't do that directly on TV because they don't do live interviews. You can't speak directly to the people in the newspaper because they could interview you for three hours and they're still only going to uh, put a few quotes into the paper. But on radio, you can speak to people in real time and it's unedited. You know, Bob, it breaks my heart. The printed page, to me... I absolutely love that, and it's breaking my heart what I see. I'm just like, wow. I mean, uh, I remember that picture that you took at, at the scrapyard when they closed that 
place down at Gannett, and I, I don't know. I was in tears. Oh, where the where the German the custom crafted German printing presses that cost tens of millions of dollars were thrown on onto the onto the ground in the rain in a scrap heap. You know, some people in the town in Germany where those presses were actually manufactured. They saw that story. A woman who grew up in Binghamton, she now lives in that town where the, the company that makes those specialized newspaper presses is is located. And she contacted me. She sent me an email and also mentioned how sad she was. And she said that she was going to make sure the people who made those presses and sold them to Gannett for their printing plant in Johnson City, she was going to show them the article to show that those beautiful printing presses that were hauled across the ocean, I believe, in three dozen separate shipments and took months to get here and then more months to assemble were used for exactly 12 years before they wound up in Adam Weitzman's parking lot in the rain. Do you remember the song Front Page News? Yes. Every time I play that song, Bob Joseph, I think about you because I know how much you love the press. I know how much you love journalism and I know how much you love the printed word. And that'll always stick by me. So just remember that, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your support. It means, it means a lot to me. It means a lot. The people, let's put it this way. The fact that the people listen to the program and the people do weigh in on various issues. It just means a lot. Because I think this pro- wow. this program is more about the people anyway than elected officials. I am always pleased to offer the opportunity. I've said there's an open door at this place, at least figuratively, maybe not literally. There's figuratively an open door at this place for elected officials and for well, candidates to co- come on. You know what happens? What we, we see a pattern where candidates want to come on the program when they're running for something. Then after they've been safely elected, suddenly it's radio silence because they don't want to answer a few more questions. Well, you had that one person. I can't even remember who it was because they were running, but they wouldn't even call any of your show. And I'm like, wait a minute. If you're going to run for any office, Call in the Binghamton now because this is the best local and live broadcasting show there is. And I can't remember even who it was. And that's why, Bob, because they don't have the set to call in. Well, here's another thing, too, and I I don't know that I've mentioned this, at least not recently. But if you look, there was once a time where many media outlets were based here in Binghamton. There was uh, Channel 12 over on Front Street. There was Channel 40 over on Henry Street. There was the newspaper, uh, the press over on Shenango Street, also the Sun Bulletin on Shenango Street, and a bunch of radio stations. So now there's one live radio station left, one media outlet that's left that's actually in the city of Binghamton, and it's being totally ignored by the occupant of City Hall because City Hall is a block away. I I walk sometimes to City Hall as part of my job, and I believe it takes approximately three minutes and eight seconds to go from City Hall, or rather from our radio station to City Hall. So, you know, in less than five minutes, you could saunter over there or saunter over here and be on the air. Hey, 
By the way, I have one more question. What is up with that sinking bridge on Shenango Street? Stay tuned. <laughs> that's all, that's all I'm going to say. You you will hear more about that very, very soon. I'll be tall, right-handed, and not Irish by then. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 11.45. This is Bob Joseph. Never fear, the program is here for you. 607-772-1290. Or send an email to bob at wnbf.com. Eleven forty-seven at WNBF with Bob Joseph on your Thursday morning. It's live and local. Oh look, the mayor of Binghamton is on the line. Good morning. <laughs> the former mayor of. Oh, I'm sorry. I I misread the teleprompter. Uh, good morning. It sounds it sounds as though we're on the line with the former mayor of Binghamton. I believe the was it the fifty-fifth mayor. Uh, I think so. All right. No, well, no, no, not fifty-fifth. I think we're we're still in the forty. I think we're. Yeah, I, it's hard to keep track. It's hard to keep track yeah, because yeah. because they yeah. keep changing. Anyway, so uh, this is the former mayor of Binghamton, uh, Matthew Ryan. Good morning. Yeah, I just uh, listened to your conversation, and I, I, uh, I would agree that we need to uh, have more people come on. I think I just don't understand how people. When they have the only time they can say with un, unadulterated, because with the press, my frustration with the, the press and the media was you'd, you'd talk to them for 15 minutes and you would get like two seconds of what you said on, 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 the, uh, on the radio or the television, I mean, on the television or in the newspaper. And, and they didn't really cover what the whole conversation was. So coming on your show, you get to say, you know, for a fair amount of time, unadulterated, what you believe and what you are trying to do, and and I just don't understand how people don't take advantage of it. Well, I I I understand they don't. There are certain questions they'd prefer certain topics they would prefer not to address, or they're not prepared to address. And but to the point, even your successor, Richard David, he would come on the program as I mentioned. During his first term, he was on every other Tuesday, as as you were, and, and during your final years, during your second term, with when the program came on, it was like clockwork. You you did it uh, about twenty six times a year, and sometimes more frequently. And and Mayor David did it, although again, as I mentioned, he cut back from twenty six times a year to twelve times a year after he was elected to a second term. Oh, he did. I didn't realize. Oh yeah, yeah, and and I knew. I knew as soon as, I think it was hours after the election results were in, where he had won uh, four more years in office, and he was on live on the program, of course, and I think I wrapped up the uh, conversation. I think it was on the air. Maybe it was off the air. But anyway, I, I knew we were in trouble in terms of number of appearances when I asked him, so uh are you going to continue 
uh, joining us every other Tuesday as as you start your new term. And he he didn't answer the question directly, and I knew at that point, well, better watch out. He might not come on at all. I mean, fortunately, although he did cut back from 26 appearances a year to 12 appearances, at, at least he still showed up on the first Tuesday of every month, so that was a good thing. Yeah, you know, I, it correlates to me with, I don't know if you remember the how many people voted the first time I ran it was twelve thousand nine hundred, and every and then the second one was over eleven thousand something. At, since then, it's in the low eight thousands. It's like it's it's like twenty five percent drop off in in uh, in voting participation, and I think it has a lot to do with the demise of the newspaper, but also people just you know they're sick of. They don't know what's going on. They don't hear directly from the people who are who have been duly elected and who have the honor to serve. And it's just I think it's really bad for democracy. And I, you know, I just um, well, look, I mean, the interesting thing with our leaders in, in City Hall now, they know about journalism, both the mayor and the deputy mayor know a lot about journalism so they know exactly i mean this is not just uh an accidental strategy this is an intentional strategy to avoid answering questions on live radio because as as most people are aware jared graham went to school to be a journalist and his deputy mayor she was a journalist she was a reporter here in binghamton and and elsewhere before she came back to town so they this is not it's not just well you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't do any anything journalism like that. Trust me, it's part of a strategy for whatever reason. Well, if anybody's listening uh, who doesn't come on, I think they, you know, I hear it a lot from people. They say, we loved it when you would go on the radio and talk about what was going on. How come, you know, how come that, and it's just not uh, one position, but it's a lot of positions where people just don't go on and, and don't, don't come on your show. And well, as you'll attest... There were times, there were definitely times, maybe not lots of times, but there were more than a few times during, during uh, your, your time at City Hall when you came on the program or you didn't like some of my questions or some of my follow-ups. Yeah, that's true, but, uh, you know, I, I slapped you down and made you realize you were wrong. And well, after, <laughs> well, after you hit me a couple of times with the taser, I, I learned a valuable lesson. But, but no, I mean, and even there were times occasionally when Mayor David was in and, and some of the segments could become a bit contentious when I didn't think he was directly answering a question. But it made for sometimes interesting and compelling radio, but it also still showed that in a democracy... An elected official still wants to try to be accessible. And and remember, some of the calls you took or some of the calls that, that Mayor David took from the listeners, sometimes they weren't from uh, people who were part of your fan club. Oh, yeah. I, I enjoyed that because, you know, a lot of times you don't get to talk to people who, don't disagree, who disagree with you, you know, because they don't, you know, if they have the courage to call and talk about something, I... I think dialogue is what it's all about. If we don't do that, we, we're not going to learn from each other. We're not going to truly understand each other's positions. And that's what democracy is all about, I think. Well, and, so, and I get it. You know, in this era, whether we're talking at the very top with the president of the United States or the governor of New York State or now 
filtering down to, to local mayors and school school district representatives. They want near total control of the narrative. I get it. You know, I, I get the concept of wanting to be in control. I'm just saying that's that's not really in the best interest for your constituents or even for yourself in the long term. Well, I'd rather have people telling me what they don't like and I can respond because hopefully I have an answer why we're doing things the way we're doing them that maybe will persuade them that, oh, I under, understand, maybe they won't. But at the end of the day, if you don't talk to people, there's no chance you can uh, clear up uh, or have communication that moves your community forward. That's the way I look at it. It's former Binghamton Mayor Matthew Ryan. Thank you for being on the program. It's 11.56. Bob Joseph with you live and local on News Radio WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM. And streaming live at WNBF.com. And that is our program for today. I commend those who called in. I'd say mission accomplished. I think I think the mission was accomplished. I think we did actually learn a few things today. And we will learn even more things tomorrow. I'm Bob Joseph. Have a great afternoon. You're listening to News Radio WNBF Binghamton.